What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. another edition of the fantasy authority podcast we are back again with another edition of the show this week we are going to be covering wide receivers from this upcoming 2020 rookie class uh this week uh i'm joined as always by my by my co-host uh cody kutzer you can find him on twitter at c kutzer ff and you can find me on twitter at fantasy 13 again my name is kevin Steele, and we are joined this week by another special guest. We are really excited to talk wide receivers with him. Uh, his name is Jesse Reeves. You can find him on Twitter at Jesse Reeves FF. He's also a senior writer at Roto Underworld and also does a, a new podcast um, that is some really good stuff. You guys should go check that out. It's called The Draft Dialogue, and they are crushing it over there. How are you doing tonight, Jesse? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Awesome, man. Yeah, Thanks, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. <clears throat> yeah, man, for sure. You've been uh, you've been pimping the, the podcast world, man. I've been seeing you everywhere. I uh, really enjoyed the the one you did on breakout age. That was a that was a really good listen. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, these are these are metrics and data that I've been I've been using for you know the better part of about a year and a half now, almost two years, dude. And I'm I'm excited to share it any chance that I can. I definitely um I definitely love talking about it. I probably talk about it too much. People think I'm probably crazy with all the numbers and stuff, but I I, de- I definitely enjoy talking about it. So I'm excited that you guys were able to reach out and and get me on here so we can talk a little bit. Dude, the the one question I had for you before we before we got going is because you also grind you grind the tape as well as the numbers. So what 
like when did what came first? Was there like was football there first, and the numbers came, or were you always in the number, vice versa? How did how did that come about? Yeah, so <clears throat> I would honestly say uh, my my background is is watching football. I have a little bit of a coaching experience at my one of my local high schools um, here in California, um, a DB's coach. So I definitely learned kind of the ins and outs of of defense and a little bit of nuance in in terms of defensive um, scheme on and coverages and stuff like that. So um, I would definitely say that my background and and what came first was uh, just kind of a love for for actual on field football and then watching it and kind of um, watching players and and kind of digesting what's on on tape and stuff and then um the numbers kind of followed after that i was I was introduced um, by proxy to um, uh, Peter Howard, somebody that I, I, I look up to very, very much in this in this industry, as does everybody. Uh, and um, uh, just an overall insanely smart man that makes you question your process. And when uh, I got in contact with him, I believe we worked a little bit over at FF Statistics. And um, he just introduced me to a lot of these age-adjusted numbers, age-adjusted market share and breakout age and things of that nature. And um, I kind of just latched onto it. It's a very very concrete process when we're looking at um, the way we evaluate these prospects coming in from college to the NFL. And it was something that I really, really loved crunching the numbers on and just learning about and digesting. So um, although I do have a a film background with uh, with kind of um, on field experience and stuff i definitely gravitated towards the numbers once i once i got there i mean according to twitter i don't think that's that's allowed but i guess uh i guess you're doing it anyway <laughs> hey you can do anything you want it's probably smarter if you're using both honestly that's just my opinion you know if you have it, it, that kind of puts you in a in a little bit of a bucket that you can you can have experience in both uh, i definitely believe in the numbers probably more um than i do myself i trust my own eyes so i love I, and i trust what i see but i understand that you can't ask everyone to trust what you see so i believe the numbers and the data are very very good representations of things that have happened while film um, tells you why they happen um, my why might be completely different than any, uh, than somebody else's so i always like to use the numbers and the data as a foundation point for what did happen because that's something we can't change <clears throat> it's very easy to uh to lie with numbers but it's very hard to tell the story without them it's kind of how i go yeah man that makes that makes a lot of sense like if you me and you could sit there and watch the same exact play and come away with two completely different opinions on what happened and what we saw so i definitely get why a lot of people lean lean toward um numbers because like you said they are they are what they are you know I mean, you can't you can't really argue with the numbers and stats and metrics that are there in front of you you can question i guess the the process but at the end of the day the numbers are the numbers i, I agree with that too but i also think that on the other side of it i think being able to actually watch and uh you know grind through some it gives you a little bit more context of also what's happening versus just simply looking at the numbers as well so i think the, you know, marrying the two together, I think, is definitely the way to go. But it doesn't seem like that's the norm. It seems like most people are either team analytics or team grind the tape. Yeah, they are. And <clears throat> the hard part about that is you look at it as kind of a. Um, I'm trying to come up with a good analogy, but I don't want to butcher it because I probably don't have one. I'm not good at that. But I look at um, I look at film as kind of a color wheel, and then I look at data as black and white, and then I look at where can I add that color that I'm trying to paint the 
the, the most clear picture possible. So that that's kind of the way that I look at it. And, and it's hard to get away from that. You can, you can add context to data, but it, it, at its overall root, the number is what the number is. And it is what it tells us. It's what happened for the most part. If you're willing and you are you're interested enough in adding a little bit of color to that mix, then you you definitely want to be able to grind some film and be able to, at the very least, you don't have to be a scheme master. I mean, I know guys that are far better at, at digesting schemes and and play-by-plays <clears throat> than I ever will be. But I do have a, a really, really good sense for individual traits that I look for in prospects, things that I like running backs, tight ends, quarterbacks, and wide receivers to have overall. And generally, I think if you're looking and you're really, really interested in, in kind of setting yourself apart and, and being the best um, kind of evaluator that you can be, I, I would definitely suggest learning at the very basics, individual traits for uh, position-specific um, players and stuff. So No, I totally agree. So. Yeah, I think that I think that's some really good stuff. I think it's some good background on on um, kind of why why you are who you are and how you got to where you are. So why don't we go ahead and since we got a, a few of these players to get through, why don't we go ahead and jump into the you know the class here, um, this upcoming rookie class? I feel like that this is kind of the crown jewel of this class, where I feel like that every year there's kind of that one position that kind of stands out above the rest, and I feel like this wide receiver class might be that. I mean, it is super. I think at the top you you have some elite options, and then from there. I think there's a lot of depth in this class, but I think today we're going to try to talk about necessarily may not be, you know, our, our, you know, individual 12, you know, top 12 wide receivers, but more so just kind of the, I think the more consistent um, top 12 guys right now in this class. And then, you know, the, with this being pre-combined, so we don't have all the numbers right now. We don't have um, kind of the stuff that we, we kind of look forward to be able to build off some of these guys. But right now, I think we can at least take a look at a few things into the end of this class and kind of take a look at it. So, I think first things first, I think, you know, the the most obvious is I think in this class, I think for everybody, for the most part, is either, you know, CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy as the top, you know, top two guys in this class. Who are you? Are, are are you Team Lamb or Team Judy heading into this uh, so far right now? Oh, I was I was going to say I'm I'm definitely Team Lamb. Um, I, I'm there. I think he has a really good ascending profile when we look at the numbers, and he's absolutely physically dominant. Um, he's a guy that I really <clears throat> I really enjoy watching. He's a guy that I really enjoy um, studying in terms of data. So uh, he's he's in my tier one for sure, um, solidified absolutely. And I think when we factor in a little bit of draft capital there as well, um, he's going to be a guy that you're definitely going to want to spend those early firsts on in, in, in fantasy. Yeah, I have I have Lamb one as well. I just think um, as polished and refined as Judy is, and don't get me wrong, I, th- I think we're kind of splitting hairs here a little bit. And I think the, the hate on Judy has gone a little too far. You know, he was the wide receiver one for at least a season and a half. And then all of a sudden we, we get to this point every year in the off season and it's now all of a sudden it's somebody else. And Judy, not only is he not one or two, he's down like five now. It's what we do every single year. Um, but for me, Lamb just has a, I think he has a little bit more room to grow. I think his upside is, is a little bit higher because he's not as refined um, and nuanced as a of a route runner as as Judy is. I think what we're looking at Judy like that's that's what he's going to be, and that's still that's still a really good prospect. Um, but if if I'm picking one, I'm I'm going I'm going Lamb over Judy. But if I end up with Judy and you know four or five of my dynasties, I'm not gonna 
not going to be crying any rivers, that's for sure. Well, one, I mean, I guess, I guess with Judy, you kind of look at him, and you're right. It, it feels like that all of a sudden now you're seeing people put him at like six, seven, eight in the rankings and all this. And I'm like, where did this come from? Why did this all of a sudden start happening with him? Where I think over the last year, like he has kind of been the consensus guy, and then all of a sudden, I think people do it sometimes just to get cute be contrarian and this feels like a spot where there's, there's really no point in being contrarian with this take i know there are some concerns with this profile but um you know especially i guess most notably i guess would be is what is bmi that i think people are most concerned with is that something that you're concerned with at all if we're talking bmi no i <clears throat> i don't heavily weight uh, body mass index into my evaluation process i'm a pure production kind of guy so when if, if we're talking just purely uh, in a vacuum lamb over judy I don't hate either one, but I think CD is obviously the uh, superior talent there. I don't. I also want to go and, and and go on record and say that I don't think it's very contrarian if you are looking at the overall scope of Jerry Judy and his profile. I don't think it's very contrarian to have him maybe fourth or fifth on your list. I think anywhere below that is is we're kind of getting into the weeds there. But there are some prospects that I do like from an analytical standpoint a little bit more as well as on tape um, a little bit more than Jerry Judy. I I'd probably this is going to be a class where it's going to it's going to come down to where these guys get drafted and where the proper draft cap uh, lands for these guys. So right now, I think that um, it is it's not necessarily contrarian to have him a little bit lower than than you know um, in the middle of that top that top ten or at the very least um, I would say maybe middle's a, t- a little bit too egregious, but about that top four top five. Anybody that has him in that one spot, I definitely do think we're probably overbiting um, a little bit on on the profile and maybe the the air quotes route running um, and and the 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 refinement at which he's a polished receiver. I, I won't argue with that, but the numbers tell a little bit of a different story. So in terms of that, but back to the original question though, the the BMI is not something that I that I wait until after I get proper combine measurements and I get everything official. Um, and even then, I don't wait it very much. I I, I do wait the 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 production overall. Um, I know a lot of people do weight the BMI though. I, I think that concerns a lot of people. And if we're looking at it from Jerry Judy's perspective, he's not going to grade out very well in in terms of his his overall his his overall build. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I guess it's, it's going to be. I think that is one thing to take into consideration is, is taking a look at um, things like that because I mean, you look at the rest of his profile. I mean, he basically. Um, he's coming in at six foot one, one ninety two, at a twenty five percent dominator rating. I, I I like to you know the seventeen point two yards per reception, the nineteen nineteen point four breakout age that he had, and obviously the twenty five percent target share that he had there. Um, especially I mean his numbers, I, I think also I mean just from this just this last year that he had, I mean from an offense that typically is more run first. I, I don't I don't hate the numbers that I saw from him, but I, I do think that. In terms of, I, I think he has the high one of the highest floors in this class, in my opinion. And then I think you could make a case for some of these guys maybe possibly have a higher ceiling. I uh, yeah, I definitely I definitely agree there. I do think he's a safe prospect. He's he's almost he's he's a lock to go round one. And I think that's where a lot of the value is going to come. We see the the highest hit rates. Uh, I mean, he he has a young breakout age. He has a sustainable market share overall. I think when you look at the analytical profile. <clears throat> I don't think it's a question on whether or not he's going to produce. I think it's going to be a, a question of of how much he produces. And I think right now where a lot of the the overcomplication in his profile comes from is people thinking he's this otherworldly prospect when I, I don't see that with him. I definitely don't. Um, and interestingly enough, when it comes to BMI and stuff, I do have a little bit of a theory and I have not studied this at all yet. I know people that are probably better suited to go with BMI, but the one thing that I would probably – 
um, look for the most is to see where these guys who have low BMI like Jerry Judy are being drafted. How many of them are being drafted in the first round and are getting that first round pedigree volume? Because that's where we see the highest hit rates for guys in the NFL and in fantasy in, in general with the low breakout age and high draft capital. So the BMI kind of being linked to draft capital would be something that I'd be very interested in learning a little bit more about because um, I think the kind of age uh, or the, the, the age old, um, prototype of an X wide receiver is slowly starting to change. We see guys like Tyreek Hill, Marquise Brown, really coming out with smaller statures, but speed guys, really fast, really, really good route runners. And they're kind of changing the game as to where 10 to 15 years ago, th- these teams are spending first round draft picks on guys who are 6'4, 220, because they want that big physical X wide receiver that they can throw the ball up to and they can play the sideline and they can, you know, go into the red zone and score those touchdowns. So I'd be interested in the trend there and, and to see if you know how many guys that do have Jerry Judy's BMI are having this first round draft capital and how much of a sample can we get there to, to, to kind of throw correlation in there and see if um, if these guys are even getting a chance and how much of them are successful if they do. So that would be kind of my take on, on the BMI and, and, and why I'm not, maybe I'm not waiting it enough and why I should probably do a little bit more digging on that. But it's interesting stuff when, when we break it down that way. No, I, I totally agree with that and everything. So so I, I guess let's jump over to, to CD Lamb. I mean, he's certainly, uh, I think for a lot of people is actually probably the number one uh, prospect here. Uh, the dude is a monster. What, what, what about Lamb do you find so attractive? And, and do you think Julio Jones is an outlandish comp for him? So I think um, I, I I don't know I see I do see some similarities when we're, when we're looking at Julio Jones and CeeDee Lamb. Um, <clears throat> but for the most part, I think that we see with with Julio Jones we see dominance um, in. When he was on the field, we see dominance throughout his college profile coming into the NFL. Um, he did miss a, a couple games. He's he's coming in as as a younger prospect than than Julio Jones. So he'll come in about a year younger than Julio. But when we look at both of their profiles, kind of kind of side by side, there's there's a dip in in Julio Jones' second season as a sophomore. And we see a little bit of a dip in production after a really productive um, age 19 year. And then he comes back at age 20, 21, excuse me. And he kind of re- reestablishes himself as just a really, really strong wide receiver. But when we compare that to kind of CD Lamb, we see just CD Lamb, his freshman season did not do a whole lot. He did a lot more than other freshman re- uh, wide receivers in this class. Uh, if we're not talking about Jalen Rager and and, um, and Brian Edwards comparably, but um, overall we just see more of a, an ascending profile for CD. So he he came in and he he logged um, about fifteen percent of the overall receiving yards at Oklahoma at age eighteen, which is great. Didn't pass the threshold for a breakout, but then he grabbed twenty five percent and then thirty one at age nineteen and twenty, and then seemingly continued to just ascend after that freshman season. With Julio, we kind of see a really really strong. Um, uh, age 19 season. And then we see a dip in production at age 20 and then 21, he kind of shoots back up. So they are sort of comparable. Um, but I would say lamb has just more of an ascending profile. And if we look at Julio's, it's kind of a dip there. And then I would say as, I mean, height is, is probably the, the big, um, the, the, the big comparable there. He definitely, CD does not have the weight that Julio does. I believe Julio is sitting about 220, 225, give or take. And CD lamb is probably projected to come in about that 195 to 200 range. So, um, Julio's got a little bit more of, of that thickness, a little bit more of that, <clears throat> that prototypical build that we talked about, but both of them have um, really st- three strong years um, of uh, Julio has three strong years of production in college. 
CD has two. It, it's kind of hard to compare them uh, from an analytical perspective, but um, I don't think it's super outlandish if that's where you want to go. But Julio is also a unicorn, so I, I would tread carefully there. We don't get very many of of him in, in our class, um, guys that are in, in, in draft classes, guys that can continuously do it year in and year out. So um, not outlandish, but I would be careful there. Just, just a quick question I had on, on your process. How much do you weight um, the combine when it comes to, you know I mean? Building your, your pre-draft models and, and that sort of thing. Because when I saw this question, that was like the, the one thing that jumped out to me, like I'm awful with comps. I hate comps. Like it's just something like I'm, I'm not comfortable with. But the main thing that jumped out to me was their their size, and I don't expect Lamb to test anywhere close to what uh, Julio did. I mean, he was six three two twenty and ran a, a four three four forty. I don't see that kind of athleticism athleticism in Lamb's profile. Um, how much do you take the the combine into in, into your pre draft uh, process? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So I. I would say that it's definitely useful to to get a, a really good um, gauge on on what these guys are physically capable of doing, but I wouldn't say I weighed it that much. And I'll just be completely honest. I I I I don't mind people that do, but when we just look at the the, I'll always come back to this. Look at the production and the numbers that player X has put up. Look at what CD Lamb has done in college. Look at what Jerry Judy has done in college. Lavisca Chenault. We can go down the list. Look at what they did in college. Uh, it's it's very clear to me that Lavishka Chenault is not going to be a four two guy, but he didn't need to be. He didn't need to be to be an overall athletically gifted wide receiver. He's not going to he's not going to run out of out of Indy, at, you know, beating Henry Ruggs' speed score. But it didn't stop him from being productive at a young age and from from being able to um, solidify his role as as a top player for Colorado. So when I look at when I look at the numbers that these players post, I think it's good to have a good baseline to of, of physical thresholds that we want these players to to reach and we want them to meet. But I don't weight it against a player. I think that if you're high on a player when he goes into the combine, just because he has a poor combine does not mean that he's going to be a bad player. Always revert back to the production because the bottom line is whatever discrepancies that the, your, the player that you love or don't like had in speed, agility, um, in 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 measure and jumping that either that didn't or it did play a factor in how they produce and you can tell that by what they put up in terms of age adjusted numbers and overall statistics in general so um i definitely don't it's not a make or break for me but i think it's good to get a, a, a like i said a baseline of what these guys are capable of doing physically because football is a physical game um you have to be able to to physically win against the competition around you so i definitely i definitely think it's useful but i, I don't weight it as much as other people I think that makes a lot of sense, and you know, I, I, I know even I did. I guess did it with with the Julio Jones thing, but it often seems like with comps that people try like it, it's always like let, let's let's put these people as comp like comparable to like the best ever, and it's like yeah, this guy reminds me of Calvin Jones or Calvin Johnson or you know stuff like that. I'm like, why? Like like you can't come up with anybody better than that. I understand that some of the stuff that when it comes to comps that you're you're kind of just saying like you know certain traits that a player has like remind you of them or or certain things and it's not necessarily saying that that, that player is going to reach that that's that's that type of level. But at the same time, I don't know. I, like like. It, like it even feels like with guys like I remember Ronald Jones a couple of years ago. Everyone was saying he's he's Jamal Charles. I'm like, I don't know what you're seeing right now to to, to come up with that. But like I never saw any any ounce of Jamal Charles outside of I guess they both had dreads, and I, I guess that was about it. 
Because other than that, like there, there was nothing comparable to me and in, in those two prospects. But I think that a lot of times um, with comps, I think sometimes it can get a little outlandish and, and a little off base with some of these guys. But because um, it seems like when you when you like will go through and listen to people, and it's like every single prospect, like you could go through twenty wide receivers, and they'll, they'll, they'll they're all like high profile wide receivers. I'm like, okay, we all know that the, 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 these top twenty wide receivers are not all going to hit. I don't know. So, anyways, I, I, that's just my little thing with comps. I, I didn't mean to do it with the Julio Jones thing, but I just heard a lot of people put that out there that they remind that he reminds them of Julio Jones. So, so to keep this moving along, let's let's move on to uh, number three here, and we have T. Higgins. <clears throat> excuse me from from Clemson. Um, he's a little bit different than a lot of these prospects that we have coming out. He profiles more of that prototypical outside wide receiver, X wide receiver. I do know I, I've seen some people kind of talk about him and talk about his forty time uh, coming out of high school where he ran a four seven five. Which I mean, I think that's something he'll probably likely improve upon. But do you think he needs to you know really you know go at like a four five? be able to be considered uh you know a day two prospect or is anything that's overblown for outside wide receivers so that depends on what you want your outside wide receiver to do if we're just looking at a guy like you want to put him in a dk metcalf kind of role and just have him roam both sidelines i i think a four five is probably it, it's it's fine you definitely don't want him to be a plotter you don't want him to be a guy that that can't get get in space and and really uh, unless you you really want to rely on his, his ability to separate in coverage and leverage himself against defenders but guys of t higgins stature overall i believe he's sitting at what six four um, give or take, I, I think he's in the 220 range. Um, like you said, that prototypical X wide receiver, and and what it comes down to is we're just looking at the overall production from his profile. Um, didn't do much at age 18, didn't have the opportunity, but we see him break out at age 19. Uh, and, and mind you, while Justin Ross is uh, seemingly also having a phenomenal year in 2018 at Clemson too, and then we see him this year. I know a lot of the concern was Justin Ross being the guy and kind of hindering. T Higgins um, again this year and kind of limiting him a little bit, but then we just absolutely see T Higgins um, just absolutely go off this year. He's a guy that uh, account for a lot of the receptions that accounted for a lot of the receiving yards. I believe he nabbed about 14 yards per reception. I could be a little bit off there, but um, for the most part, he was, he was a really dominant down the field wide receiver. Wasn't, um, I don't believe he was used too much in short intermediate areas or as a a quick out wide receiver, a guy that you want to get in too much space. He's a guy that you really just want to let go and body a a DB. You want to let him get big up and you want to let him go catch the 50-50 ball. He's somebody that was really solid in that area. And um, so for me, I think 4-5 is is totally fine. Like I said, if he's running 4-6 or later, he's probably going to be looked at as a little bit of a slower guy and you, you want you want some aspect of speed even from a bigger guy like like we said earlier no one's going to come out like julio julio is just an absolute he's a clydesdale when you watch him run that guy just eats space and for his size that's just not it's not completely normal so i'm not looking for for julio jones level type of long speed either or being able to eat up that much ground but i do think t higgins has enough to to probably get himself in that early day to maybe mid day uh i should say second round excuse me i think he honestly might have a chance if there's a team that is really really looking for that that big x kind of build um wide receiver with with great hands and and able to able to be a threat in the red zone and down the field i would probably venture to say he might creep into the back end of of round one and in that case 
we're looking at a really, really strong overall profile for a guy like T Higgins, even if he is limited. I, I know I, I, I would like to use DK Metcalf here, even though DK was a little bit more of a physical freak coming in. This was a guy who showed well at, at, at age, <clears throat> age 19 did, uh, did have some injury concerns, but could not have landed in a better place than Seattle, where he had one of the, the, the best downfield, um, uh, quarterbacks, the, one of the guys who's not Russell Wilson is not afraid to launch the ball down the field. He's the most accurate percentage wise um, off of play action, which allows body wide receivers to get down the field. If we're looking at T Higgins in a situation like that uh, in with round one draft, capital, I, I'm, I'm spending that, that, that probably first round rookie pick on him and I'm doing it comfortably. So, I mean, with T Higgins, just some of the numbers that you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, he's six, four, I have two sixteen, um, but uh, he did have a nineteen point eight yards per reception, you know, which is which is great. And uh, he also, what was the other, uh, you know, with a fifteen percent target share. So, um, yeah, I, I think that you know, depending on landing spot, which is going to be for most of these guys, that's what really is going to matter the most. But yeah, I, I think he's going to be an interesting prospect. And I also have never seen a wide receiver with longer legs than he does. He's like all legs and little torso. It's uh, just, just the first time I ever saw him, I was like. This man has some legs on him, but not that that matters for anything. Um, anyways, okay, so let's uh, we jump over to another one, and I think this is a guy that I believe you are really fond of, and I think he's somebody that a lot of people are starting to get into, and then it's Jalen Rager from TCU, 5'11", 194, had a 36.7 dominator rating, great breakout age of 18.7, um, you know, had an awesome uh, target share with 23.5, 32% in 2018. Now, with, with Rager, I feel like that he is somebody that is kind of the the perfect example, not really waiting too much on in terms of just basic counting stats, like receiving yards or touchdowns, because, you know, Jalen Rager is somebody who, who played in a really terrible offense in TCU, and if you just, if you just go off of his stats you're not going to be very impressed because he just wasn't able to do a lot but if you dig a little bit deeper and go into more of his target share and you see that he was kind of the focal point of this offense and i think everything else about him that you kind of dig into makes him a really exciting prospect what are your thoughts on him yeah he's somebody that i've been on for a while now uh somebody that i absolutely love um overall i love his film i love his analytical profile he's one of those guys that seemingly just you get lucky with and everything just lines up and to go with your question i think this is absolutely him and and tyler johnson for me are the two guys where you you look at their raw statistics and they look a little bit underwhelming some of tyler johnson's raw statistics in his in his age 19 season you're going to be like i i I don't understand same thing with jalen rager this past year when when we look at his raw metrics and we're not able to digest like how we're able to elevate a guy like this who couldn't and I don't know his raw statistics off the top of my head, so excuse me, but somebody who couldn't push over a thousand yards and somebody who doesn't have double digit touchdowns in the college game, a lot of the casual people that look at that are going to write a guy like Jalen Rager off. But when we grab the whole entire scope of what he did, if and we isolate it just this year, which is his age twenty season, we see we see that he still grabbed twenty over twenty percent of the receptions there, over twenty five percent of the receiving yards there, and. 33% of the receiving touchdowns there. So I'm not, I'm not really, and that's just this year. If we want to go back to his age 19 season, we see he grabbed, he had um, an overall dominator in his age 19 season, about 44.2, which grades uh, absolutely elite second 
uh, single season dominator um, only to Tyler Johnson among these guys that we're looking at right now. And then we see his age 18 season and Jalen Rager is actually one of two, only two wide receivers that broke out at age 18. He's the only one that broke out at age 18 is Brian Edwards broke out at 17. Um, with that, that's wild. But uh, Jalen Rager, he's the, a guy that, Another guy that I think a team could really fall in love with his speed, could really fall in love with uh, the versatility that he offers downfield. He's a little bit smaller than a guy like T. Higgins, but I'm telling you, this guy can high point. He can go up. He can adjust at the catch point to a ball. He can really, really put a, a defensive back on skates. So when when you look at him and you look at his profile, I think, like I said, the, it's where the two kind of analytically and, and film kind of marry together and you get a guy like Jalen Rager um, and, and you get lucky with him. And if he does creep into that, the, the back end of that first, or I think, you know, a team is really, really going to be blown away about what he's going to do at the combine. Uh, rumors have it that he ran a four, three, um, I believe in high school. If, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember what the narrative there was, but um, there's he's, he's gone on record to say he's the fastest guy in this class, even over a guy like Henry Ruggs. So I think a team is going to be absolutely blown away by his skill set and what he's able to do um, uh, physically. I think when you look at the analytics and you see how dominant he was, even on a horrid uh, TCU offense this year, and then you look at, at you just go back to the tape and see all the things that he's able to do as as a downfield threat, as a short area threat, a guy that you really want to get in space. I think he has a really, really, really strong potential to end in that backhand, uh, that back half of that first round. And for me, if that happens and he does get first round draft capital, I am probably going to stick him up there with CeeDee Lamb. And it would probably be CeeDee Lamb and Jalen Rager that would probably be the two guys I'm most comfortable biting on just from just from historical hit rates of wide receivers that have first round draft cap that have um, an age 18 breakout and a guy with, with Jalen Rager's skill set. I'm excited about him. He's somebody that I've loved for a really, really long time. Um, he makes up a considerable amount of of my my Devi teams. Uh, and I'm excited to, to see him blow up the combine here in a couple weeks. I'm excited to see what he does uh, and how he cements himself in the draft. So I absolutely love him. Um, I think people are sleeping on him. If the, if you don't have him in that top four or five wide receivers, you're already late. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping uh, things kind of pan out for him. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't let the size fool you. The, the five eleven, you know, one ninety five or or whatever it was. He, uh, he plays a lot bigger than that. He's, he's aggressive. He attacks the ball. Jesse already touched on, you know, his ability to high point and, the, the adjustments that he makes and I uh, I'm personally a, a sucker for the double move and he he has a couple of those that just just with it combined with his speed is just uh it's a pretty sight you, you know which team that really loves speed and picks in the back half of the draft and it is likely going to be looking for a wide receiver okay we're moving on now <laughs> and we are moving on to the next prospect right all right let's do it you know, just, we can fill in the blank of whoever that could be a team that loves speed but Anyways, speaking of speed, the the next guy that uh, is is Henry Ruggs, which seems to one of the more kind of polarizing players in this in this in this upcoming draft. I've seen people. I remember you know people getting caught up in like you know vividness bias with him uh, a couple of times this year on Twitter when he had a big play, and people are saying that he's the next Tyree Kill, which is uh, crazy because he even Tyree Kill is a little bit of an outlier, especially at his size. But they do have some at least similar traits when actually when I've, when I've kind of looked at them. I know that they 
it's rumored that that he ran a four two five. Um, which would be put him right around where Tyreek Hill is. Obviously, you know, he only had a 13% target share, only a 17% dominator rating. Those aren't really great numbers to really uh, go off of. Um, he's six foot 190, which is a little bit bigger than what Tyreek Hill is. Um, some of the stuff with looking at him, I mean, he does have the ability to kind of go up and high point the ball, you know, is, is, has some, you know, uh, which is something that kind of, separates Tyree Kill at his size that a lot of guys his size can't do. Is that who he is or is that, you know, way over bounds? And is he like, cause I think he could be anywhere from, you know, a Deshaun Jackson type all the way to maybe like just a Ted Ginn. Yeah. So for me, <clears throat> I lean probably more towards the 10, the Ted Ginn comp. Henry Ruggs is a guy. I don't, I don't think he's a bad wide receiver, but the glaring issues with his profile are the fact that he could never beat out any of the other talent at Alabama to solidify himself as an actual um, pro- producing wide receiver there. So the issue becomes, and we can kind of like, if you want to strip away all the fancy numbers, even though that this is probably the best point I can make right now, but if you strip away everything, uh, the fancy numbers, the speed, the film and everything, and you maybe not the film, but if you look at just him in general, he was the third and sometimes fourth best wide receiver on that offense. But he he seeded a lot of work to to Jalen Waddle even last year too. Jalen Waddle is a phenomenal talent. Can't wait to get to him um, in the in the future. But um, at throughout his entire career, he never was able to grab over it even just past the threshold of about twenty percent of his team's offense. And in a high powered offense like Alabama, who does spread the ball around, and we see guys like like Jerry Judy and uh, Devonte Smith have a considerable market share there. My issue is is if intuitively, if you want to to kind of disregard and say, you know, we haven't seen teams that um, that have had three NFL talent, uh, the first round NFL talent wide receivers on on a single offense, I'd probably point you to maybe Clemson or or Louisiana State where, where Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. There's there's more than enough volume to go around for three wide receivers to pass a threshold of about twenty percent, and then that's that only makes about sixty percent of the overall a passing volume. And then that's another 40% that's up to grabs for, um, for maybe another wide receiver or a, uh, the running backs and the tight ends. You can divvy that up whatever way you want, but conceivably it is not hard for, for three wide receivers to come in and have over 20% of the market share there. Henry Ruggs just bottom line for me, he was not good enough to do it. And the issue that I have is people are saying, you know, he's a first round wide receiver talent. Well, how much of that is being touted by other people telling us he is because the numbers don't add up there. The numbers definitely don't tell me that he is. The numbers tell me that he struggled to beat out Jerry Judy and Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle at times. And then when I see that, I see people touting him as a top 12 wide receiver. I even have, I've seen um, some people have him in that top five, top three area. And for me, that's perplexing because if he couldn't do it at Alabama, and he couldn't beat Jerry Judy and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and whatever tight end that they had there and the running backs there. If he couldn't do that at Alabama, how can we expect him to transition to the NFL that that has actual NFL talent and for him to be able to compete with those guys and have a considerable production, uh, a considerable tr- 
production trajectory throughout his career. I just don't see it. And we don't get very many Tyreek Hills. I think that we 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 need to to intuitively think about the way that we look at a guy like Henry Ruggs and how much we're really really elevating his draft stock in terms of where he's going to go. I, I honestly think that teams that do want a speed element are going to draft him in the first round. And if he does go in the first round, we're going to have to consider it. We're going to have to consider that and take that for what it is. But even then his, his overall profile suggests that even if he does have to have the first round draft capital, that he still only has situational upside. He's going to have to go to a team that doesn't have a, a an overly dominant alpha wide receiver he's I, I i've said it before i think a team like the new york jets without um robbie anderson would be probably a good situation because he's only going to be competing with Le'Veon bell and jameson crowder there for targets in that situation he can have usable weeks but if he goes anywhere if he goes to um it, it, if he goes to the vikings or you know those are just rent where they have two alphas there or if even it, it, the, the packers that has one alpha i'm very worried about his production and what that means for him because he couldn't do it in college and i'm very very speculative that he'll be able to do it in in the nfl so i'm not willing to tag him with anything right now i don't think he's a guy that i'm gonna be on he's somebody that i'm actually adamantly off right now um and and take that for what you will but i'm just cautious with guys like that his Historic, um, historic metrics and and historical does not it does not favor a guy like Henry Ruggs, even if he does have the speed. Yeah, that uh that makes a lot of sense to me. He was someone who I was excited to get to. Um, you know, I don't get a chance to watch too much college during this season. And from like Jesse, like you said, some people having him in their top three, top five. Like one of my buddies that I talk to all the time, he was really high on him. And I threw on the tape, and I was just like, "This is it!" Like, not, <laughs> like, like. He's fast, like like you're not gonna take that away from him at all. He has a speed, but like this is like one of those things that Kev brought up with Rojo and the dreadlock thing. So because he's smaller framed and fast, that all of a sudden he's Tyree Kill, like that, like that doesn't make sense. And uh, for for me, like like even his his explosive speed, that initial quickness off the line, like I didn't really see it. Like it kind of takes him, you know, what I mean, ten yards to to get up to full speed. I, I thought someone like um, Jesse, you mentioned Lavisca Chenault. I thought he had you know quicker burst off the line. Somebody like we we'll be getting to here in a little bit. Uh, Brandon Ayuk. I thought he had uh, better initial burst and quickness. So I, I'm glad I'm not alone on the on being lower on rugs. I feel like with him as well. I think that another thing to mention is uh, when you we were talking about landing spot is. He's also going to need to go to a team that's going to be willing to throw the ball to him deep down the field. Um, because if he gets paired with a quarterback who likes to check it down or you know something like that, then I, I, that is going to be the, the utmost terrible spot for him as well. So I think there's a lot of factors for him to really pan out at the next level and not turn into be you know a, a John Ross type of career trajectory where they just really haven't been able to take off. So I think that is something to mention with him. And so, yeah, like – I'm not super high on him either, but I just I just know that he seems to be somebody that a lot of people are in love with. And I think it's the speed, and I, you're right. I th- I I would be surprised if he wasn't a first round or an early second round pick because of that speed. Teams love that speed, and we saw last year the Chiefs kind of go out of nowhere where nobody was you know really expecting McCall Hardman to go in the second round of drafts, and the Chiefs went up and got him because of his speed. So 
uh, we just kind of see this type of player go high every year. And so, you know, this, you know, is, is he going to be that? I don't know. Is he going to reach a Deshaun Jackson type of, you know, level? I, I think that is a little bit wishful thinking. And I think he can end up being more of a Ted Ginn type. So it'll be fun to watch with him. And I know uh, Twitter is going to lose their minds at the combine whenever he runs his 40 and, and uh, you know, and, and sees him in, in short. So anyways. The one, the one thing that I do want to say is I, I, I hope that he does have a really impressive combine. I really do because um, that is going to push real talent like Tyler Johnson and Jalen Rager and, and, and T. Higgins and other guys of that nature down my rookie, uh, my rookie drafts, and I am here for it. I, I will probably target the guy that I know loves Henry Ruggs, and I will probably trade back in my draft to accumulate a couple more picks just so I can get over on that guy. This is an exploitable piece, people. This is what you're supposed to do in fantasy. Make sure you're targeting people like this. Make sure you 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 exploit the the Henry Ruggs lovers in this this draft because they're they're, they will be there and they will come and they will pay for him um and you will be right there for for to to take their money that's a great point so all right so let's uh let's let's keep it moving here so we can get through these guys uh the next one up on the list is uh justin jefferson uh from lsu a good example of somebody that's able to dominate in the face of having somebody else there that is just as dominant um jalen jefferson you know he's another guy that kind of projects more as that outside x wide receiver however he was not necessary he was not used that way at lsu he was much more of a primary slot guy so i know some people have some concerns with it but you know he comes in six foot three 192 at a 30% dominator rating 19.6 breakout age you know uh 21 target share in that offense had a monster year another guy who kind of had a slow 40 coming out of high school ran a 4.8 but you know with him obviously i think everybody is licking their chops from jamar chase um when he comes out next year but right now i mean he jefferson still dominated 2019 and, and had a monster season of his own right but are you concerned with like i mentioned that you know that that he basically was the primary slot guy, or or do you see a po- you know maybe a possibility where he or it turns out to be a Keenan Allen type? No, I think um I think him being kind of a little bit of a profile that's a bigger slot, I think is probably perfectly fine and where he's best suited. The 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 thing with him being in the slot though, and especially this year with Jamar Chase is when we look at his his overall profile we see that he was able to compete at a high level and still maintain a very very uh, high quality production uh, trajectory even while Jamar Chase was on the field and absolutely dominating and having his breakout season intuitively we talked about that kind of on the flip side Henry Ruggs looking like you know he he wasn't able to establish himself he wasn't able to 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 beat out the talent around him Justin Jefferson is a guy that really intrigues me b- because of the other side of that because Jamar Chase had such an outstanding season but yet we did not see a a significant downfall um to Justin Jefferson's profile if we want to go back to his last year uh, to 2018 at age 19 his breakout season logged 30 percent of the receiving yards 32 or excuse me uh 30.7 of the receiving touchdowns and had 24 percent of the the receptions there fast forward to this year alongside jamar chase in in what was a, a magical season at lsu um we saw 25.8 percent of his receptions at and and then we saw 25.7% of his receiving yards and and then 32% of um of LSU's overall receiving touchdown so the only place that we saw a little bit of a downtick there was about 5% in the re- in the receiving yards department 
That's not concerning at all, considering a lot of the passing volume that happened at LSU with Joe Burrow and how a lot of that was going to Jamar Chase and a lot of that was going. Clyde Edwards Hilaire had 55 receptions this year, too. I definitely don't count that guy out for being a major contributor in the passing game this year. There were pieces around Justin Jefferson that were eating volume. And the, the difference is, is he was able to overcome that because he's a good player and he was able to still maintain a very high level of production there. So young breakout age um, operated mostly in the slot. That's fine. I think the slot is now a nuanced position. And I think a lot of the best route runners and the best players actually play exclusively in the slot. We see you um, kind of throughout Keenan out. We see Keenan Allen really transition from, from the Y to the Z. He can play the X sometimes, but you really see him being a, more of a complimentary piece, but his numbers suggest he's an alpha, which is not abnormal for a lot of these wide receivers that are, that are coming in and being able to operate in the slot and put up really, really high numbers there. So no, it definitely doesn't worry me that he's a, exclusively or probably will be um uh, he'll be a transition piece between a z and a y i believe his his um skill set and his his overall physical profile will lend him to that but um the numbers just just scream to me very very solid prospect a very very solid guy who is who is able to handle other nfl wide receiver talent around him over uh, nfl talent in general around him and he's just an, a, a producer He's a guy that I think is also going to go probably day two, and and I'm perfectly fine with that. We see the highest success rates for fantasy inside of that um, that the round from from rounds one to three. So as long as he comes in, I would probably prefer rounds one and two. But even if he comes in at three, um, I'm I, I'm comfortable there because he's shown me that any situation that he goes to, um, it could be a high powered uh, a high powered team that that just dishes a lot of volume, a lot of passing volume, or it could even be a lower level team. If he goes to a lower level team that doesn't have as many weapons he's going to be an outright dominant wide receiver there but he's also going to be a dominant wide receiver in a team that passes the ball a lot that does have an alpha there Um, maybe even two he's a guy that can come in and really fight his way into some volume and he's going to produce with it so he's a guy I'm looking to snag in in, at probably the front uh, the front half of my my rookie drafts this year and I think he's well worth it um, depending on where he's going to go um, in, in in the actual NFL draft. Yeah, I, I like uh, like everything you said. I like the way he like the way he profiles from his production to his tape and everything else. Um, I mean, Jesse, you already touched on it that the you know number ones in NFL offenses are, are changing now. They no longer have to be the six four, two hundred thirty pound jump ball guys on on the outside. So as long as he goes somewhere where he's uh, where he's getting getting volume, I mean, that's really the the only thing that matters. But Jesse, we know you're. Uh, on a, on a little bit of a time constraint here, and you've mentioned this guy a little bit, and personally, I want to hear you uh, whisper sweet, sweet nothings about Tyler Johnson because he's somebody that that I am also um, a little bit higher on. I currently have him in like my my tier two of receivers, but he seems to be getting pushed down list for uh, for whatever reason that is. So. Uh, talk to me about Tyler Johnson. Yeah, he's a guy that if if uh, pre pre draft right now, uh, I released uh, my first my first run at tears um, a couple weeks ago, and he's a guy that I just I, you have to slot him in there based on the production that he's he's given us um, from breakout age of of nineteen, and he's just been absolutely dominant ever since. We're talking. 61% uh, percent or a 61.3% dominator to age 19, a 51.5% dominator age 20. And then this is where I think the profile gets a little bit dicey is I wish he would have came out last year. Um, there is a little bit of a trend for wide receivers that go back for their fourth year and they, they, they don't, 
Um, they don't produce with the overall trend line that you want to see an older wide receiver um, hit because believe it or not, these threshold numbers are great, but it doesn't stay at around 20% through and through four years of college. So we want to see a wide receiver in their fourth year grab um, uh, a little bit more. <clears throat> we want to see them be able to grab more and more of that offense and continuously ascend. So he did have a little bit of a, uh, of a downtick in production this year, pretty considerably actually, but I think we can add context there. We saw Rashad Bateman kind of come alive this year um, as as a as a a sophomore. He had a really good year last year, I believe. If I'm if I remember correctly, he's a sophomore. But either way, I think that uh, Rashad Bateman just just kind of becoming uh, coming into his own had a lot to do with that. Overall, I love Tyler Johnson's profile. He's probably the most dominant wide receiver in this class in terms of the overall production that he had. Looking at his breakout year, age nineteen. That Minnesota offense, I will say this, age 19 accounted for 77.7% of the receiving touchdowns there, as, along with 44.7% of the receiving yards. A lot of that might be uh, skewed by the fact that that 77%, Tyler Johnson caught seven of the total of the nine total touching uh, passing touchdowns that Minnesota threw that year. I believe that was 2017. Um, so, of course, his numbers are going to be very very high when you only throw nine touchdowns and one one of those players uh, catches seven of them the his his numbers are going to be very very inflated but that that kind of goes to to show that that's how dominant tyler johnson is when they were looking at to to get the ball in the paint that's who they went to and accounting for 44.7 percent of of the overall receiving yards there too they're looking for that guy to produce in between the 20s as well so when we look at these numbers and we look at a guy like Tyler Johnson, who has three really, really strong years of production. Um, I know people are going to knock him for going back to his senior year, but he's inarguably the most dominant wide receiver in this class in terms of overall age adjusted market share. He is, um, uh, you have Jalen Rigger kind of kind of um, sitting sitting with him um, in an age 19 season. But overall, I think he's going to come down to the draft capital. I know a lot of people just see a pretty, um, just a smooth overall wide receiver. That's what I see when I see him on, on film. He doesn't do anything spectacular. He is just a, a guy who goes and gets it done. He's smooth. He is consistent. He is what you, he's just, a, he's a football player. That's what you see. Um, strong hands in traffic. He's able to put the ball in, 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 in the red zone but he he's not an exciting player which might kind of throw teams off of off of him they might look at the production and the raw statistics and and say okay our team doesn't necessarily need a guy like that until maybe the later round so my only issue and my only hold up with him is going to be where the draft capital lands for him if he lands anywhere um uh, on day uh, between day one and day two i'm perfectly comfortable taking him um depending on where others might have him leading up to 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 the rookie drafts I'd be perfectly comfortable taking him at at, at the beginning, middle, and even end if he slips there of that second round. His his overall profile is beautiful. Um, I I'm a, a big Tyler Johnson truther, and I think he's going to I think he's going to be a phenomenal talent if if he gets the opportunity that these early round guys uh, get. What about the difference between uh, him and Brian Edwards? Because to me, like I think Brian Edwards, I have him a little bit higher. I think he's just a, a little bit more athletic. But they kind of, like you said on uh, Tyler Johnson, like there's nothing that neither of them like are extremely good at. They're both just really solid all around. Not a lot of holes in their game. And Edwards kind of has the same thing where he went back for his senior year uh, when he could have came out last year. So do they they profile similarly to you? Yeah, uh, Brian Edwards, another 
<clears throat> another four-year uh, wide receiver that's coming into this class. Um, they, they, there are similarities. I think Brian Edwards is is a guy that I also really like, but it's it's at the age of which he produced the way that he produced that really intrigues me. We're talking about he was he was seventeen for half of his his um, his freshman season, and that qualifies as an age seventeen breakout. Now, I don't believe I have any age seventeen breakouts in my database. Brian Edwards is the first, and when you're able to do that at such a young age, I think that that's that's really really telling. But then when we look at Brian Edwards and and both Debo Samuel on the field at the same time, there are very strong indicators that suggest that Brian Edwards was not only um, slightly better than Debo, but he was he was a guy that was able to hold his own, especially in red zone situations and and in terms of market share of receiving touchdowns. But he was a guy that strongly competed with Debo Samuel, and we see how Debo Samuel translated to the NFL. I don't really understand why people aren't on Brian Edwards a little bit more because everyone was on Debo Samuel coming out and Debo Samuel had a, a fair amount of injury concerns, um, had some holes in his profile and Brian Edwards has, has nothing but um, really, really strong metrics throughout his entire career um, at <clears throat> South Carolina. So for me, I, I don't necessarily think that Tyler Johnson and Brian Edwards uh profile the same Tyler Johnson was much more dominant in his respective offense. Um, but last year dealing with Rashad Bateman, we did see that dip. Brian Edwards just kind of continuously produced from age 17 all the way through age 20. And um, he does come in uh, at, at a really good, a really good age. He is coming in at age 20, despite playing those four years at South Carolina. So he's kind of just thinking about it too, right now, he's kind of one of the, he's going to be a weird prospect to kind of um, pin on what can what can we expect from him because we really don't have a comp that we can say okay he he broke out at age 17 and now he's entering the draft at age 20 he's still entering at a very young age he won't be 21 22 when he when he hits the NFL draft he's going to be 20 and um so i think he's kind of a curious case there so i wouldn't say comparisons outside of maybe both of them spending 4 years at their respective uh, schools but um yeah Brian Edwards another really intriguing prospect i don't know why a lot of people aren't on him even more and uh, they should be. Yeah, I mean, he seems like a guy that a lot of people are kind of. I think he's, I've seen him as high for people as three or four, and then you see him as low as twelve or thirteen for people. But I think there's a lot to like with Brian Edwards as well, and I think he is one of the more interesting prospects. And I know I've seen some knocks against him when it comes to his athleticism, but I I, I did see somewhere I think that uh, he was clocked this year, uh, you know, by you know kind of like next gen stats where he uh, one play he. I uh, got up to 22 miles an hour, which I think was the highest among any wide receiver this year. So uh, I think he certainly is a little bit underrated in terms of his athleticism. So the, the next guy we want to get to is someone you, we've kind of talked, or you kind of hit on a little bit, but LaVisca Chenault uh, out of Colorado. Um, I think he's another interesting prospect here. Um, again, not in a great offense out of Colorado. 6'2", 220, had a 35% dominator rating, 19.9 breakout age. Um, did have a 20% target share but he was somebody that was kind of just a jack of all trades sort of in that offense he, he was deployed as kind of that do-it-all player they put him at wildcat they had him run you know be do uh be a running back at, at wide receiver i think even uh, i saw somewhere that maybe he played some tight end as well for them i mean he's just kind of an interesting prospect here but how, how do you feel that he is going to be utilized you know in the nfl you know, is he going to be somebody that's kind of like a Percy Harvin, Cordell Patterson type, or is he somebody that, that's going to be able to come in and just be a pure wide receiver? Yeah, that's that's probably my main hangup when I'm evaluating him is he does have really good age adjusted metrics. We did see a dip this year um, 
in his age 20 season from his age 19 season we we did see a, a pretty significant dip in production but i think that's because uh, from what i've seen from from what i've seen with with chanel on tape they didn't really have a set place to use him this year and i know last year the um 2018 as well he probably had a little versatility in his game but i think he was used more as a wide receiver in 2018 than he was this previous season in 2019 now i saw him line up in the wildcat i saw him line up in the slot i saw him line up as a tight end i saw him line up in the backfield i saw him used in so many um interesting ways and for me that either hurts or it helps a guy um right now he's he's a wide receiver that's what we have him listed at he's an uber athlete i think he's he is going to test very very well for his size and his weight i think that he is he's a guy that runs very hard runs well does well in contact balance does well in the open field he's got good hands he can catch well he's a very well-rounded athlete he can high point he can run he can he can do it all my issue there is probably um uh, what is he going to do and what is a team going to ask him to do? And that kind of worries me more for fantasy purposes because I think Leviska Chanel is going to be an amazing um, a player in the NFL. I think we're going to see a lot of, of, of flashes of greatness from him. I think you're going to see a lot of really fun things from him in the league. But my issue would be where, where do teams kind of value him? Where is he going to be used? Because typically we want to see him being used as a wide receiver, catching passes. He has the profile to do it. It's just going to be whether or not a team thinks he has the pedigree to do it and the team thinks uh, they're willing to kind of groom him to um, revert some from some of that versatility and just stick him at a wide receiver position and that's not to say he can't run sweeps he can't be used on wide receiver screens because he can Uh, but we want to see him used in that role more for fantasy purposes like I said we want to see him kind of have a solidified role with the team that he goes to can they harness that athletic ability can they use that the fact that he's an age 19 breakout and that he has two really good years of solid production, even though he did take a, a dip this year, he still was above the threshold that we look for um, for an age 20 wide receiver. So for me, um, it's going to come down to where he lands and what team gives him that 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 draft capital. He's definitely probably he's in that tier three for me, I believe right now. If I'm not mistaken, I do have him. Yeah, I, I actually I actually still have him in tier two, probably the bottom of tier two, more of a fringe guy, I would say. But um, interesting prospect, a guy that 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 has loads of versatility, loads of athleticism. He's somebody that I'm excited to get a little bit deeper on and get um, a couple more data points for him, and and hopefully we can dial in um, where should where we should be picking this guy in, in rookie drafts yeah no i think i again i think he's going to be uh kind of an interesting uh prospect and really it's going to be fun to see kind of what nfl teams decide to do with them but he's somebody that's, that's been able to show to be able to do multiple things so i know you have to get out of here i know uh we just want to get to one more guy if you have time and then we will uh get you out of here uh we really appreciate you joining us today really uh a lot of uh good information i think we're getting out here on these guys just the last guy is brandon Ayuk from arizona state he seems to be a guy that's kind of climbing a lot of people's rankings right now um but i i do know one thing with him that i think that people are a little concerned with would be his uh late breakout age he has 21.5 breakout age which is like 26 percentile but he did have a strong college dominator at 40.6 which is 82nd percentile um, I mean, he had a strong year this year, uh, you know, almost 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns, 26% target share. So there's a lot to like there. But are you concerned at all with his breakout age? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is this is a guy that um, I have in probably that fifth tier of wide receivers right now. Um, I know a lot of people 
that watch a lot of tape really, really like him. I think that they like um, his overall profile. I think he has pretty good speed. Uh, I have I have yet to to watch more than one to two games on him overall. But I think um, the the issue for me is he's he just kind of had a really drastic turn of events after Nikhil Harry left ASU. This is also a guy who started um, two years at Sierra College, I believe, if I remember correctly. He was at Sierra College, which is a junior college. Um, had a, a couple good seasons there, I believe but transferred to ASU and we see his age 20 season just he did not do very much at all behind a guy like Nikhil Harry. Um, he was only had about 15% of the receiving yards and 15% of the receiving touchdowns accounted for about 15.3% dominator rating. In his age 21 season, we just see him absolutely go off. And for me, that's kind of, it's it's more telling um it's more telling of the of the wide receiver in a negative way than a positive way when you see elite level talent like Nikhil Harry and yes I still do think Nikhil Harry is elite level talent when you see Nikhil Harry a guy of of his of his profile when you see him leave and then the next man up kind of has this absolutely boom season that's very telling that one um Brandon Ayuk was not able to compete with Nikhil Harry. So it's hard for me to imagine that. And Nikhil Harry went the back end of the first the, fir- the first round, which leads me to believe it's going to be very, very hard for him to come in and compete with NFL talent at any level um, of, of any draft capital. It's going to be hard for him to come in and, and compete with those guys right off the jump. And, and two, I think that it comes down to more of how much are you willing to invest in that one strong season? Because I'm not, I, I think it's a flash in the pan. I think we saw, um, we saw him come in. If you want to add the context that maybe he struggled a little bit coming in from, from junior college to power five school. Um, sure. I can see that narrative and that would probably require a little bit more digging, but the bottom line is he was, we, we can always play the what if game, but the bottom line is he's, he didn't outproduce um, a really, really good wide receiver. He didn't outproduce the talent around him at, at, at ASU his first year there. And then he just goes on to have this absolute dominant flash in the pan type season. So for me, I'm 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 very weary of a guy like that, and he's probably somebody that I'm willing to um, because he did show. I want to be clear, he did show that he can do it. He did pass thresholds his senior year, and he uh, at age 21 had um had a monster season with with a 38.6 percent dominator rating, accounting for 38 percent of that overall uh, the overall receiving work for ASU. He did prove that he can do it, so he's he's not somebody that I'm completely off because I do believe there is some situational upside there potentially. So he's somebody that I'm probably looking at, at throwing the dart for uh, or throwing the dart on um, in in the back half of of uh, probably the fourth round in my rookie drafts. Third, maybe depending on where he lands, if I like a favorable position, but probably early fourth, to late fourth would be the range that I'm looking for um, for some IUK shares. All right. Great stuff as always. Um, I really, again, I know you have to get out of here. You have a, you know, your big, your, your big time and you got another podcast to jump on, which I totally understand. I uh, really appreciate you coming on and joining us uh, today. For, first of all, I am, I am not big time. Don't you, don't, don't say that. Cause I, I am not, I, I'm just a guy who probably overschedules himself to talk about football and has nothing else better to do on a, <laughs> what do you, what day is it even? It's Tuesday on a Tuesday night. So um, no, I appreciate you guys getting me on here. Thank you so much for allowing, uh, lending me your platform to just hang out and talk some football with you guys, um, especially wide receivers. It's kind of my forte. Love talking to those guys. So um, thanks for lending me your platform. Um, and and as always, I'm humbled when anybody asks me to get on their their show, their podcast, and everything. So thank you guys more than anything for for having me on. Absolutely, no, really, man. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Uh, 
So yeah, we'll have, we'll have to definitely get you back on again, maybe uh, post draft or post draft or something like that, and kind of uh, go back and kind of uh, redig into this uh, after we have all the all the final pieces in place to understand where these guys are going. Absolutely, and I'd be more than welcome to hop on and kind of you guys can blow up all my cold takes. So that <laughs> that'll be that'll be a fun show. Don't when, when Henry Rose goes, you know. It was the first wide receiver off the board. You guys can all say, I told you so, or something, you know? So, uh, thanks again, guys. Um, yeah, d- d- reach out. I'll, I'll be back on anytime. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right, guys. Have a good one. All right. Again, you can find Jesse on Twitter. Uh, just a little shout out for, you know, where, where you can find him at. You can find him at Jesse Reeves FF. Um, and again, uh, he does a podcast called the draft dialogue, uh, Really good stuff where they break down all the prospects as well. So we have a couple more guys that we want to get to uh, before wrapping this up. So I didn't want to miss out on these guys. We did say top 12. So uh, the next one on our list was KJ Hamler for Penn State. Um, he is somebody that I guess, um, uh, Cody, you should be familiar with as the the resident Penn State fan over here. But mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. KJ Hamler kind of comes out very small stature. He's listed at 5'9", 174, had a 31.7 dominant rating, um, 19.2 breakout age, which is something that you're definitely looking at or looking for. Uh, he also had uh, posted a 25% target share, and it's you know it's two years that he, um, that he was eligible at Penn State. He uh, you know had at least a 20% target share in this offense. So you know this this offense isn't one that is typically a pass first offense. And you know the numbers that he put up, I think, are pretty impressive. But what are you looking for from KJ Hamler? And again, we've kind of talked about how speed kills. It's somebody that that teams could take a little bit higher, a la the Chiefs last year. Yeah, man. Uh, he was a he was a four star recruit uh, coming into school. I think he was originally kind of slated to go to like Michigan, Michigan state somewhere. And then uh, ended up at Penn state late a little later in the process. But man, he, he was one of those guys that anytime the, the ball was headed, headed his way as a Penn state fan, you kind of just like clenched up because you were just expecting him to, you know I mean? Take a, take a slant 80 yards to the, to the house. So I think is he's going to do well at the, at the combine. There seems to be something, uh, something in the water at Penn state where, you know, even even white boys like Troy Apke, Deion Sanders catching him after he ran his forty, and he's he said, "You're not just white boy fast." So that this there's one he's there's the the strength and conditioning program up there that they just pump these guys out. So he's going to do well in the combine as long as he gets the the draft capital. That that's the the biggest thing, and it's something I wish we would have had more time to to talk to Jesse about. Is as far as landing sport landing spots and capital and all that stuff that's that's going to be the biggest thing um that determines how early or if these guys even even get a chance to you know i mean really really show what they have so just someone who's super electric in space can you know i mean he can get by anybody he's a he's a decent route runner he's also somebody who also has those those double moves and you know, cornerbacks are going to be playing off of him more, you know, more often than trying to press him because if, if he gets by you, he's gone. As long as that ball isn't, isn't underthrown, you're, you're not catching back up to, to Hamler. So he's somebody I, that I really like, obviously the, the Penn state bias aside, but I mean, dude, if, if he would land somewhere like Casey, I mean, I, I feel like Kansas city is going to start becoming, uh, you know, the Patriots from, five, six years ago is, well, imagine if he lands in New England. I think, uh, I think KC is going to become that, that new spot that everyone's, I mean, running backs and, and receivers alike. So 
Have you gotten to to look at Hamler at all outside of uh, maybe some stats? Have you have you watched him at all? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, again, I, th- I think he is going to be profile more as that deep threat. Um, again, um, somebody who could end up being, you know, uh, you know, just, just simply a, a you know a pure burner. Uh, somebody that the teams just dial up as uh, you know as as a deep threat. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I think you could maybe talk about you know a T.Y. Hilton type, but. Um, I think I've seen people, you know, comp him to T.Y. Hilton, and it's kind of some of the things he can do, but I also could see a scenario where he turns out to be Travis Benjamin, you know? But, yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, the NFL is, uh, you know, all aboard this uh, speed train, this, uh, you know, smaller wide receivers who can absolutely burn. So, you know, I think K.J. Hamler is going to be another interesting prospect to kind of see where he lands, if he lands in the right spot, you know, maybe like a a Philly or something like that with a Carson Wentz or – you know, just uh, I think he's landing spot dependent. You know, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes, and I think that's going to ultimately depend on you know, kind of uh, you know, what you think of him. So, um, past that, I think the last guy we have to talk about is Denzel Mims from Baylor. Which, anytime you say Baylor and wide receiver, let's talk about it. You know, you talk about Penn State and the Chris Godwins and the Allen Robinsons that you know that they've been able to produce uh, in the last few years from that school. Then you go to Baylor. And you got the Corey Coleman's and the Katie Cannons of the world coming from Baylor, who had some hype uh, around this time of the year, the last couple of seasons, and as we know, have not really panned out to be anything. Uh, you know, Denzel Mims, um, I think that's something that a lot of people are scared off of him about. But if you look at him, I mean, he's six foot three, two hundred six. Uh, an excellent dominator rating of 42.3. He had a 19.9 breakout age, um, you know, solid season this year, 24% target share. So kind of everything you want to look for in a wide receiver, but you know, how much of that bias or how hard is it to kind of get that out of, you know, for, uh, of him, you know, or to get that out of your head whenever you're drafting and your rookie drafts and kind of when you're looking at these guys, because I do think a lot of people are going to look at Baylor, a uh, wide receiver from Baylor and be really, you know, uh, scared off. Oh yeah, for sure. And with, you know, with, uh, I was, I was a, a Katie Cannon fan. Um, and when you look at those two, you have guys that are on both sides of it. Corey Coleman, first round pick. And I, I don't think Katie Cannon was drafted, right? I think he was a UDFA somewhere. I think he landed with the Jets and then maybe skipped around a little bit after that. But I mean that that's something that that I try to I try to look past because what once you get past a certain point, you're looking at different schemes and coaching and you know that that sort of thing. So with Denzel Mims, he he's a lot of fun to watch, man. He might have the best body control and like field spatial awareness out of out of anybody in this class i mean he has he has some absurd absurd catches and uh what what did you call it last year toe toe tap toe toe tap swag was uh was that it kev was out here doing uh doing calisthenics if you if you've been uh if you've been riding with us for a little bit but Denzel Mims man he's he's somebody i'm gonna be higher on i feel like i'm higher on him than than most um I saw a tweet the other day, Ben Fennel, who does NFL draft work for uh, the NFL Network, grouped together some guys that he he think could run sub 4-4-40s. And it was, you know, obviously your your Ruggs and your Hamlers. And then the last name on that list was Denzel Mims. And he's almost 6'3", I think, pushing close to like 205, 210, something like that. So if he's one of those guys that if he runs, 
I mean, even if he runs a four four flat, that's still that's still moving at, at, at his size, and then you're going to see him. That's going to cause his NFL draft stock to probably uh, to bump up, which then in turn is going to cause his uh, his dynasty rookie value to also bump up. So I'm kind of hoping that he that he doesn't hit that, so I can you know what I mean so I can snag him in the in the second round as opposed to having to think about taking him at the back end of the first possibly depending on just how high he goes in the NFL draft but he's uh he's somebody that I I like so far uh early on in this process and that that I'm excited to see how everything pans out over the next two months yeah I I agree I think you know we're only a couple weeks a couple weeks away from the combine I feel like that this group and this class is at least at least the wide receivers I think is so deep like we didn't even get to all the other guys that there is out there, um, you know, the Devin Duvernay's and the Colin Johnson. I mean, there, there's uh, a, an entire another list of guys we could have went through. Yeah. Another 12 to 15 guys that I think that are going to change drastically once we get to combine, and we're going to look at these guys. And there's 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 going to be a big shuffle of everybody's rookie rankings because that's what everybody does as soon as the combine happens. We see people running shorts, and all of a sudden it's like, all right, we got we got to shake everything up now, right? <laughs> And then again, it's going to happen again, which when it really should happen is after the NFL draft. And then we, we see how um, draft capital plays a part and where these guys land and their opportunities and everything else. And that's going to be the biggest point. But, I, I mean, my biggest takeaway from the wide receiver position right now is just how incredibly deep it is. I don't know if it'll pan out that way because, like, last year, I don't think last year's rookie wide receivers class, I don't think many people thought that it was going to produce as many players as it did, at least in year one. So I, I, it's, it's hit or miss. And But right now, I think that this class, when you look at it with the CeeDee Lambs, the Jerry Judys, the Jalen Ragers, I mean, there's so many guys here in this group that I think you could make a case for to be in the top five, even like a Brian Edwards that we talked about. Um, he seems to be somebody that is criminally undervalued and Tyler Johnson as well, where all there's a lot of these guys that it's just kind of like, you know, whatever your flavor is right now is the guy. So, but I think when it comes to the combine, I would look at it. I would use it. I wouldn't, we already know, like, for example, like we already know Henry Ruggs is fast. Like we're not breaking new ground by saying that, but I guarantee you when he runs his 40 and he runs a, Four two nine. Everyone's gonna be like, "Oh my god! Like, what is happening? Oh my! No, you know he's wide receiver three now. But like, we already knew that, right? We didn't learn anything new. So I don't know. I I think that's something that's gonna happen, and it always happens with these guys. Yeah, it always happens, and the I think the the, the important takeaway here is to not double count what we already know. Like we know he's fast when he runs his fast forty. Don't double count that and move him up whenever that's something that we already know. And then on, on the other side of that, um, I can't remember who we were talking about with Travis last week, but there was somebody that, we, Oh, um, Devin Singletary, awful combine. Like it, it, it probably couldn't have gone much worse for him, especially at his size and his, the 40, he ran his three cone and everything, but he's somebody who, whenever you watched him, he didn't play how he tested. So, I mean, like it, I think we, we forget a lot of times at the end of the day, like, these are humans that uh that are out here doing all these tests and you know they're they're gonna have bad days there's gonna be days where i mean somebody like chris godwin he tested really well he had a really nice athletic profile i didn't necessarily see that on you know on tape like uh, another penn stater um mike gasecki killed the combine 
I didn't see him play as fast as he tested. So the the thing that I like using the combine for is like if I, you know, kind of like to double check on some guys, like if somebody like runs a 40, that's a lot faster than how I thought they played, maybe double back and, you know, take another look and, you know, see if I'm, if I'm missing on something. But the, the thing that's going to like, you're not going to see too much in, from me in terms of rankings until the NFL draft, because it's going to change so much from now to the combine to the draft. So kind of rambling here, but the, the wide, back to your original point, Kev, the, the wide receiver position is really deep this year. And not only that, but that you also have guys that kind of that fit the mold of you know, playing at different positions too. Like you have your, your guys like Devin Duvernay who are going to be strictly slot guys. You have your outside guys. You have fast guys. You have guys like Tyler Johnson and uh, Brian Edwards who are just really solid all around. Maybe their ceiling isn't as high as some other guys, but they have really safe floors, and as long as they have the draft capital, they're going to be safe prospects for you to take. So, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's probably it's probably stronger at the top of the draft for running backs, but in terms of depth, that uh, wide receiver definitely takes that this year. No, I totally agree. And, you know, before we, I guess, they close it out, I, I didn't really get to say a lot on Brian Edwards, but... I honestly think that he's the next Chris Godwin. Like I, I think that I think that's who he is, and I, that's who I think his ceiling can be. Um, mm. So mm. I, I'm pretty excited about Brian Edwards myself, and I'm you know to see what he does at the next level. So um, it's gonna be fun to see where he winds up. I just hope it's not like the Raiders or something where I have to like hate Brian Edwards because that's great. Because I, I am a huge Chris Godwin fan, and I'm gonna I think I'm gonna buy a Chris Godwin uh, jersey this off season because I am in love with that man. Uh, he is the he is a beast. Uh, I'm actually surprised to find out that you don't already have one. I know, I know, right? I should, but I, I just haven't gotten around to buying it yet. But I'm, I think I'm, I'm thinking I'm gonna make it happen this off season. Um, anyways, so uh, again, I appreciate uh, everybody tuning in. I, I appreciate everybody checking the show out. Uh, check out the YouTube channel if you're not watching it on there. I think we're gonna try to actually break down a lot of this this week and put this on YouTube into much smaller, actionable, digestible um, little segments. And if, if you're listening on podcast, please uh, give you know rate and review, subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. And you know subscribe on our YouTube channel. We're going to be doing a lot more smaller videos, you know, the three to five minute type of videos on a lot of these guys, and kind of getting this stuff out. Uh, again, appreciate Jesse Reeves coming on uh, the podcast. He is an excellent, excellent. Um, you know, just NFL prospect dynasty uh, follow. So follow him on Twitter at Jesse Reeves FF. Next week, we have a, another guest coming on. We are going to be doing quarterbacks and tight ends together um, because I just don't think we want to go super deep. And I mean, how deep can you really go into the quarterback position? And this isn't like an incredibly deep quarterback year anyway, but at most ever, there's three to four or five guys that you really want to talk about. The rest is just white noise. Uh, we are going to put those two positions together next week. And who do we have on? Uh, Zach Thomas from the from the Dynasty Draft Room. He's uh, He's been doing a lot of awesome work and uh, started off doing stuff just from a fantasy perspective, and now he's diving into. I mean, he's putting out a, a an NFL draft guide, I think, with 200 prospects, and he's doing offensive linemen and cornerbacks and and the whole bit. So he's someone I've gotten to gotten to talk to a couple of times, and I'm I'm looking forward to that next week. Yeah, it should be solid. So tune in next week, uh, Tuesday night. We'll be going over the quarterbacks and the tight ends, and then I think 
right after that, I think, is when the combine starts. So we'll get some more hard information. Shortly after that, we have free agency starting. We may do a pre-free agency show to kind of do a little rundown or something like that. We'll figure something out. But anyways, uh, until next week, I really appreciate everybody tuning in again. And, uh, you know, have a great week. And we will uh, see you next week. Peace. Tunchi's back, Tunchi's back, as all these bitches screaming that Tunchi's back. time inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply